What's up, guys, and welcome to MCS Podcast number 317. This is Buck Green sitting in for Jeff Anderson this week, and this week we're going to talk about senior citizens, or people who are maybe a little bit past middle age. It's a fact that none of us is getting any younger, and as we get older, survival and the skills of survival become a little bit more challenging. As somebody who is on the other side of 40 himself, there are days when I really feel that fact. I can remember there was a time when I could get out of a car without being sore after riding in it for more than 10 minutes. So this week we're going to talk about survival for seniors. But before I go any further, make sure you uh, get today's handy dandy cheat sheet where we have the notes for today's episode. We've done all the heavy lifting for you, so all you have to do is download it at www.mcsmagazine.com slash 317. That's mcsmagazine.com slash 317. Okay, are you ready? Then let's talk survival for seniors. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All right, we're back. Again, this is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson this week. Jeff is very busy uh, working on the transition from MCS Magazine to Warrior Life. He's been doing a lot of work with our Operation SOS uh, charity, the 501c3 organization that we have for helping uh, soldiers suffering from PTSD. Uh, he, uh, I talked to him after he got back from their latest retreat, and it was very clear, you know, what a profound experience that always is. So it's very much worth uh, worth your time. And if you look back at our past uh, podcast, you'll see the one that Jeff did recently about that fact. And I highly encourage you to uh, take a listen to that. It's really, really good stuff. All right, let's talk about survival for seniors. Like I said, I am. I don't like to think of myself as old, but I'm definitely well into middle age, let's say. And uh, some of the uh, questions we get at, at uh, Warrior Life, uh, formerly MCS Magazine, uh, TM, Star, Copyright, whatever. <laughs> no, no I, I have no idea of the legalities of any of that, so don't hold me to that. Um, we get a lot of questions from people who are older, and they have questions about you know, self-defense when you're older, survival when you're older, a variety of things that affect older Americans. The American population itself, there's a significant number of us who are older. That's one of the reasons that this uh, recent pandemic was such an issue for so many, because just being in the older demographic presents a very significant uh, increased risk of death from, from COVID-19. Um, I... I'm not used to looking out the window and being terrified. And in the early days of the pandemic, just because of the age demographic that I'm in, I mean, I'm not in the oldest one, but I'm not young anymore either. And uh, so I was a little concerned about that. I have some some health issues that uh, have me on medications, and that's the first point that I want to talk about when it comes to survival for seniors. A lot of us are on medications. A lot of us don't even think about it, but a huge portion of the American population is on medications, some of which are keeping you alive. Blood pressure medications, heart medications, diabetes medications. Uh, if you're taking something like that that you need to be alive and continue remaining alive, then what happens when suddenly you can't get more of it? Uh, during the pandemic, they talked about the possibility of shortages of medications that are manufactured overseas. And when the supply chain was broken and a lot of us started seeing empty grocery store shelves for the first time, 
Suddenly, they were also talking about the fact that certain life-saving medications you take might not be readily available. And I was scared, I'm not going to lie. I fortunately had a, a fairly healthy supply set aside, but not everybody is in a position to have that or you know, to just coincidentally uh, have been paranoid enough to want to amass a large supply. In my case, I take a medication that is very expensive. With my insurance, uh, it's still a fairly hefty copay, and without it, it would cost me as much as a car payment for my monthly prescriptions to just pay out of pocket for that. So I amassed a supply of that just in case anything were to happen uh, with insurance that would make it more difficult for me to buy the medication. And not so long ago, I had to change my insurance from a program I'd been on for a long time to uh, my state's, uh, you know, Obamacare related thing. It was was not easy, is my point. So it's to your best advantage to have a stockpile of the medications you take and on which you rely. Um, don't just pay lip service to this. You've got to start doing it. But I understand that that's not always easy. Um, if the medication in question is not like Oxycontin or some powerful prescription painkiller, something that is involved in the illicit drug trade, then it is possible to stockpile. If you talk to your doctor about your concern that you don't have enough of a stockpile in case of supply chain disruptions, a lot of them will work with you. Sometimes they'll be able to give you sample-sized medications because, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceutical reps will come into these doctor's offices and throw samples at them in an attempt to sell drugs. And a lot of doctor's offices, they have a shelf or a cupboard or whatever of these samples sitting around that they will give you if you tell them that you have an issue. I remember I had a conversation with my doctor about what do I do if I uh, can't pay for this medication, the expensive one that I'm on? He's like, well, we may be able to give you some samples. We may be able to switch you to a cheaper drug. That was an option I was not interested in because the whole point of switching me to the expensive one was because I thought it would work better. Um, we are all dealing with those issues in, in today's day and age. Uh, if you're on a medication like that that is expensive, then talk to your doctor about what your options are for stockpiling some. Now, for lesser medications, things uh, there was a very common... Uh, a blood pressure medication um, that I was on that was very, very cheap. Out of pocket, it cost, I don't know, $10, $20, something like that. Uh, if you want to stockpile some of that, very it's possible for you to report the medication lost and pay out of pocket for more. Um, uh, now, I'm not, not encouraging you to do anything illegal. I'm saying that these are some of the options. If you lose your medication, you can pay out of pocket to get more, and they'll usually make allowances for that, again, provided it's not super uh, uh, attractive to people who buy and sell drugs illegally. Remember, drugs are not just stuff that they make in back alley meth labs. It's also stuff that comes out of pharmaceutical companies that you're not supposed to have. So... Uh, take the time to talk to your doctor and to explore your options as far as stockpiling your medications. Because if you were on medicine that is keeping you alive, you need to make sure you have as much of it as possible stored away in case, like this pandemic, we end up with disruptions in the supply chain or you can't get it or you can't leave the house or you have insurance problems or money problems. It's just for every survivalist, every prepper, every prepared citizen, as you get older and you are more reliant on medications, you need to do what you can to stockpile it. Now, yes, medications do expire, so rotate the supply to make sure that you're not just setting aside some that gets super, super old and then loses its effectiveness. I'm generally of the belief, and this is my personal belief only, that when they tell you this expires on this date, it's probably still going to work for a good while after that. It's not like the drug knows magically on this date it's no good. 
Just keep that in mind and uh, do what you can to put aside a supply of your medications. That's point number one for survival for seniors is stockpiling medications. Point number two, and uh, here we're going to change gears a little bit, you should buy a rolling cart. Now, I know Jeff has talked about this too in the context of uh, uh, bugging out and survival bags. Um, it is not a bad idea for you to have a rolling cart. Uh, you may live in an area where you see people pulling their little rolling cart because they're moving on foot to the grocery store to buy groceries. Uh, it's very common in the neighborhood where I live right now. Um, you can buy carts just about anywhere. You can buy luggage that has wheels built into it. Obviously, those are all the rage. But there's a specific kind of cart that I have seen that I believe is the best one for people who are getting older and who don't have the ability to lift up and carry things the way they once did. The whole point is if you can pull it, drag it, roll it, it's much easier to move with greater weight than it is if you're trying to carry that stuff. Well, there are carts that have these special triangular wheel assemblies that allow you to go up and down stairs. That makes them great for inclines too in an irregular terrain. So if you can find one of those carts, it's a great survival uh, accessory that allows you to carry your gear even though maybe you're getting up there in age, maybe you're a, you know, a little less strong than you used to be, maybe your back isn't quite as good as it used to be. I know in my case, I can do some heavy lifting, but if I overdo it, I will hurt my back and the muscles on one side will get all messed up and I will not be able to walk straight for a week and that is not fun. So uh, just be advised, you can buy carts like this in lots of stores. There is a store that I call the Chinese dollar store. The, the staff is Chinese, their goods, many of them have uh, labels that are printed in Chinese and there's some really cool stuff in there because a lot of this stuff is straight off the boat from China. And they have a fairly wide variety of goods. It's in the basement of a local shopping mall. This, I don't even know what the name of the store is. It's like 99 cent city or something like that, but it's a Chinese dollar store. And they have these carts for sale there. Now, th this is one of those stores where not everything is a dollar. There's two kinds of dollar stores. There's dollar stores where everything is a dollar, and then there's quote unquote dollar stores where they have cheap stuff, but the prices range. Well, at this store, you can get some of those rolling carts very cheaply, five, 10 bucks, something like that. Don't do that. When you buy a rolling cart, buy a high quality one because if you try to cheap out, you're just going to end up with a piece of junk that will break when you need it most. And if you're relying on this cart to help you move your gear for survival and you need to use the cart because you can't pick it up and carry it because it's too heavy otherwise, uh, then make sure you buy quality. Also, another caveat, do not use the cart as an excuse to bug out with more than you absolutely need. Jeff harps on this all the time when it comes to bug out bags. Do not overload the bag. And the same goes for when you're using your rolling cart. Do not use the fact that you're rolling it as an excuse to make it too heavy. All right, point number three. It's very important as you get older that you cultivate what I would call survival buddies. The older you get, the more you need help, but also the more you have to offer. If you've been uh, reading about survival and training about survival and, and just been interested in this topic for a number of years, about the time you hit middle age, later middle age, you have a lot of knowledge. I remember reading American Survival Guide back in the 80s. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and over that time, I've amassed a lot of lore, I guess you call it. Also, because you may recall, I used to do a lot of the webinar interviews that we would do in, in, at Modern Combat and Survival, and as a result, um, I've talked to so many survival experts over the years. 
An older person who has knowledge like that has the opportunity to mentor younger people. You can trade your knowledge for the help of your survival buddies, your network of survival friends, if something bad does happen. Most younger people are really eager to find mentors, to find people who can share with them old school knowledge, and they really get into it. They think it's cool to have those older friends who can tell them stuff that they might not find in more modern resources. Uh, younger people themselves can also be knowledgeable about survival. I mean, let's say you're one of those people not real comfortable with computers and you hook up with some guys who are part of that younger generation. They've been on, you know, bulletin boards back when that was a thing, back in the old dial-up days. I guess I guess if they were on them, they'd be closer to my age. But my point is people who are tech-savvy, people who are traveling in Internet circles and, and, and social media groups now, they'll have information that they can share with you. They'll even be able to explain things to you you've never even heard of. So it's a very good thing to cultivate these cross-generational survival buddies, these groups of survivors who are older and younger who can trade and share information with each other. That is immensely helpful, and it will do nothing but strengthen your position if you, as an older person, are worried about your survival as you get older. Um, okay, item number four. Uh, survival weapons become more important than ever the older you get. Uh, obviously, the, the implied... Uh, sort of premise here is that as you get older you're not as strong as you once were you're not you don't have the stamina that you once had simply because you're getting older now I realize there are exceptions there are guys 10 years older than me who are in far far better shape I drive a desk around a good part of the day so you know I, I understand I'm not a paragon of physical fitness um, obviously, obviously everybody should be as fit as they can manage to be but a lot of us don't do it that's a, that's a reality so as you get older you get a little bit weaker, you, you lose a little bit of stamina, it becomes harder for you to do things. Well, the same is true for self-defense, and I don't care how much training you have. Yes, training can make up for a lot, but a very young, aggressive, muscular 20-year-old guy has a huge advantage over a guy like me in his late 40s who's out of shape, even though I have quite a bit of self-defense training. It's just a fact, and I had better hope that my training is up to the task of overcoming his youth and, and strength, his muscular power. Because, you know, they say when you're training for self-defense, you shouldn't try to muscle through techniques because there's going to come a time when you come up against somebody who's bigger and stronger than you are. Well, that's true when you're 20, and it's true when you're 50. But there's a lot more people who are stronger than you are when you're 50 than when you're 20. So you need to understand why weapons matter. A weapon is a force multiplier. A weapon is a means of doing more with less. So if you have a weapon, you immediately have an advantage over somebody who's bigger and stronger but who doesn't have a weapon. However, again, we come into a problem with uh, uh, aging when it comes to survival weapons. Take, for example, our Guardian Machete, our, one of those flagship products that we've sold here at Modern Combat Survival. I own many of them. <laughs> I have an impressive number of Guardian Machetes from across the different uh, uh, generations of them as we've introduced design improvements. And I love them, but it's a heavy, it's a big heavy machete, uh, not so heavy that it's not, you know, and anyone can use one. But as you get older, you're going to notice trying to, just like a, a baseball bat, if you were to pick up a baseball bat at 20 and then pick up that same baseball bat at 60, 
Well, it feels a little heavier than it used to. Uh, if you develop arthritis, and uh, my father had really bad arthritis, I worry sometimes that that might be uh, something that I have to look forward to. I don't think so now, but you never know. Um, my grandmother suffered from arthritis very badly to the point where she couldn't even sew anymore because she couldn't hold the, the needle to, to do the sewing. Um, as you get these sort of ailments of age, it becomes harder to do things like, say, swing a heavy machete around and do so with authority and force. One of the ways you can compensate for that is to think about what weapons can I use that require the least amount of muscular effort for the most amount of gain. Right off the bat, a very sharp knife. A smaller knife that is extremely sharp does a lot of damage without a lot of muscle power behind it. That's one of the reasons that knives are so powerful. But when you think about firearms, you also have to think about this equation, this maximizing benefit and minimizing physical effort. If you were an old 1911-45 guy from way back, as you get older, it might start to get harder and harder to rack the slide on that weapon. Um, to say nothing of, you know, like a big clunky gun, like a high point or something like that. So you might need to think about, you know, what kind of gun can I use that doesn't require me to use a lot of physical uh, force to make it work. That's one of the reasons that they make those little pocket pistols, the little Beretta pocket pistols with the tip-up barrels. It's so that instead of racking the slide to chamber the first round, you can actually insert the first round by tipping up the barrel. I actually remember seeing an article that said that those were very well suited for people who might not have a lot of hand strength, might have hand strength issues, uh, you know, one-handed one people who, who might have a hard time racking the slide because they don't have the use of one of their hands or it's just missing. Um, so think about that. Think in terms of the weaponry that I have. Can I use it? in my current physical state, and if I were to get a little weaker, can I still keep using it? Because sometimes you get sick, sometimes you're not feeling well. I remember one time I had, I think it was the flu, it was back in the days when I was young enough that I didn't worry about going to the doctor every time I thought I was deathly ill, <laughs> but I, I was sick, I was sick as a dog. And uh, I remember a guy approaching me in a parking lot and I had this flash thought of, what do I do? I, I don't feel well enough to fight this guy off if I need to. Well, he wasn't trying to mug me. It wasn't anything like that. It was just one of those split-second moments of realization that I'm not in great shape. Well, the same is true, especially when you get older. You could easily, like, you know, say I throw my back out tomorrow, which is something I've done. All of a sudden, I was fine today, and I could have had, I could have defended myself reasonably well today. Tomorrow, when I'm crippled and can't move because my back hurts so bad, suddenly I'm not, a, not in a position to fight someone off physically. So what do I do? What are my options? That's when you have to start thinking in terms of those force multipliers. So point number four, make sure you have the right survival weapons that you can use in your current physical state and in, in your physical state if it were to degrade somewhat, because that can happen suddenly sometimes. Finally, number five, always consider the possibility of survival animals. These are, uh, I don't know if, if, if you've been one of those families who was fortunate enough to have a large protective dog, but I'm willing to bet that whenever, you know, if you're a guy and you had to leave the, the, your lady friend home with the dog, you always felt safer knowing that the dog was there to protect her, that kind of thing. Um, I have been fortunate enough in my life more than once to live in households with very protective large animals and I always felt better, uh, not usually when it was just me home, but I always knew that the dog would alert me if someone approached and I always felt better about leaving other people in the house when I was out because the dog was there. 
A survival animal like that, a large, loyal dog, or even a small dog who can at least raise the alarm, is a great friend to have for an older person. It is a fact that pets uh, are good for older people uh, as we age. That companionship is good. Um, they are also great stress relief for people of all ages. Pets, it, it is, they actually did a study sitting there with your cat on your lap and petting the cat or petting your dog. That's good for you. It's good for your mental health. It, it decreases stress. So a survival animal, especially a, a larger dog, and it doesn't always have to be, I'm saying whatever pet you have, but a larger dog is an especially good survival companion. They even make tactical vests for dogs. Now, I've seen some comical ones for little dogs, like uh, chihuahuas decked out in tactical gear, which is just kind of cute. But they make vests, tactical vests and load-bearing vests for larger dogs. They could even help carry some of your survival equipment. Uh, that's something we've talked about in some of our survival stuff before. So when you're thinking about, you know, what are my survival options as I get older? Having a, a survival furry friend is, is, is a good option. Um, obviously, you don't want to take on more responsibility than you can handle. I, I remember once, uh, many years ago, I dog-sitted for my landlady's dog, and I really evaluated during that time, am I cut out to have a dog? Because I found myself talking to the dog in that same way that a very annoyed parents talk to their children. You know, like, Really? You need to go out again? Could you stop barking? So, you know, obviously make choices that fit your lifestyle. But I think a lot of people would be well served, especially as they get older, with a very nice, large, loyal dog or some other animal that at least provides companionship and maybe in some circumstances can provide early warning. Um, I know uh, we, we used to have uh, a Norwegian elk hound who was about half a German Shepherd. He was an adorable dog, and uh, he would bark whenever anyone came by. He was not, you know, he couldn't hurt anybody. He'd lick you to death, but um, he was a great early warning system, and he was a cute dog. So, all right, those are my five tips for survival for seniors, a demographic that I am heading very rapidly towards myself. Uh, one, stockpile your medications. Two, invest in one of those rolling carts, particularly the kind with the triangular wheel setup so you can go up and down steps and inclined uh, terrain. Uh, three, cultivate your survival buddies. Four, make sure you understand your survival weapons situation and that you have some. And five, consider survival animals. All right, that's going to do it for this issue, uh, this episode, rather, of uh, Modern Combat and Survival, soon to be Warrior Life's podcast. This has been podcast number 317, and I am Buck Green, in for Jeff Anderson. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>